This is The Mood of Now with the Experts, where we take the world's trending topics from the mouths of industry experts and deliver them straight to your fingertips. Connecting you with The Mood of Now. It's recording. All right, this is really exciting because this is our first ever Mood of Now with Experts podcast that we are trying to create. So on today's episode of Mood of Now with NYT and with the experts, we have Amat Coyote Alabi. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, you're correct. I yeah. think on LinkedIn, I've just heard <laughs> probably 10 times. <laughs> so I thought I can just put your description onto a post and probably for the user so that they can read it. But I think I need to read this out because I think it's it's great. It's great. So here it goes. So we have Hamathir and who is passionate about education access in underserved communities and for young people with post-migration backgrounds. He started a nonprofit at the age of 15 and helped over 6,500 plus students and children and completed his master's degree at the University of Edinburgh through the MasterCard Foundation Scholarship. He worked as a regional manager at Peace First and as a young refugee project coordinator with the British Red Cross. He is currently a board member of Refugee Education UK. And Ahmad recently spoke as a UNESCO Youth Delegate at pre-summit of the Transforming Education Summit at, at the UNESCO headquarters in Paris, where he shared his vision to revolutionize 21st century skills-based education. He has written two books and authored over 192 articles focusing on personal community and global development. And I think this is one of the most empowering introductions I have ever read, and it's so inspiring. But a social entrepreneur, two times author, SDG champion, education and youth activist, a poet, World Economic Forum Global Shaper. Wow, it's a lot. But can you just give us and shine light about how did all of this start? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for reading the profile. And just to make a little bit of like correction, basically, I think. So when I was 15, I started teaching. I didn't start a nonprofit at 15. So I started teaching. And I'm a board member of Peace First, and I work as an educational mentor in coordinator refugee education UK. So I'm yet to be a board member of refugee education UK. Maybe someday I would. Yeah, because it's, it's it's a cause that is close to my heart, basically. Yeah, so how did this all start? Like, again, I think one of the things for me is like, it's not from my background. Basically, I was born and raised in one of the largest frozen slums in Africa, Makoko, Nigeria. And all of those experiences, you know, growing up in that community, and having to live live majority of my teenage years in in the slum or in the south communities, I'm always finding myself in a rural community somewhere around there. And I lost my mom when I was seven. And at some point, my dad became unemployed. And I lost my mom because he couldn't have access to like quality health care. And also, like for my dad, you know, there were in social protection system to protect my dad. And at some point, I stayed out of school for a academic term. And my brother stayed out of school for a academic year. Like he couldn't go to school because we didn't have the resources or the money to go to school. So these were like my circumstances, basically. And I remember at some point when we were growing up in the slum in Makoko, then uh, in Barigarada. Bariga is another slum in Lagos. So we, I remember walking whenever I walk in the street, I would see things that I should not do or I should not be. He also brought me closer to the problems that I'm out, that we're facing in our community. So I saw people whose condition were worse than mine. I saw children when weren't going to school, you know, so I, I knew that there was, there was something I needed to do about whether education or something, but I didn't know how, I didn't know when, and I didn't know how it would happen. So when I graduated from like high school, like I was quite very young, I was just 15 when I left high school. And so I left high school and 
I, you know, I got a job to start teaching in a rural school at the age of 15. You know, it was like a, it was a, it was a community kind of like basic education school. And during those moments, I got closer to like the educational sector. During those moments as well, I would organize remedial classes and session for young people within my community. And that brought me closer even more to the problems, the challenges that children were facing. And I remember then, you know, having to use play, play with method. Uh, to actually teach the kids as well and they were learning and they were like kids that weren't learning before they could like you know they could read the alphabet they could communicate and I, I knew that when we offer children the basic literacy and numeracy skills you're already preparing them for the future basically so again those were like the work that kind of like inspired me basically to do the work that I do and to believe that young people have the potential to create massive social change within their communities and the fact that these were my circumstances, but there were many other young people who were facing similar circumstances as well. And if we offer these young people the resources, skills, and tools to change their own circumstances, you know, they can go on to be the solutions in their community. I was the solution in my community. I created something to solve that problem. It's basically to say, oh, let's equip young people with the skills to solve problems that in their communities. And, you know, and I was like being a solution in my community as well. So they can also be a solution. So that was like the whole idea of like, you know, starting you know, an NGO that kind of like supports young people along that line. And, you know, after starting that nonprofit, I noticed that there were like many other problems, many other challenges. I also noticed that I needed to get out there. I need to get into platforms. I need to have access to opportunities. I need, you know, grow professionally. And that was what made me like venture into like different kind of like opportunities, applying for opportunities to amplify the work that I do because we can't create transformation in silos. We need to like, you know, work. We need to like get into platform. We need to speak about what we do. We need to hold maybe policymakers accountable. And for me, whether writing, whether poetry, they serve as an entry point into those key debates, basically. So poetry for me, is like an entry point into like key development issues. My, my writing as well is like, you know, using storytelling to walk people through the journey, to walk people through the process. To like, this is how the process is. This is how you can get to this particular point. And, and also like creating awareness about key issues within, within the continent or within the globe. And, and, you know, what are the challenges that even young people are facing, right? You know, as a young social change maker, it's like, what are those challenges? Those were the things that I shared in my book, using my story as a young social change maker. So again, one of my 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 goal not not goal i'll say one of my life mission basically is to actually use storytelling to connect people to the disconnection of the world and that's why i tell i tell stories basically and i think it's so important at this point of our generation or how we are moving towards what's i don't know what wars that we're gonna go through what mm -hmm. healthcare wars or what political wars are we gonna go through mm -hmm. but having this united voice of storytelling at least connects mm -hmm. And I think it's really great. But there's one question that popped up in my mind when you were telling that is you've started it, you've realized the importance, but what were the obstacles of getting people from your surrounding places to join and learn this? Because it's really hard because when I talk about this, I think of India as well, where there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot mm -hmm. of underserved communities and also not a lot of people can afford and I know that it's an NGO, but they don't even have the mentality of, okay, I want to do this and I want my kid to do this because having a day yeah. and food to put forward in the table is much more important at that point of time than looking at education, looking at learning things and doing something greater good. So what were the obstacles that you found in, during that? 
Yeah, I mean, there were, there were like many obstacles and there were many, many challenges um, along the line. And I, I, I feel like, but, but I think one thing around, like people don't understand what you're doing. People don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. It's really difficult. But, but again, it's me actually proving to them through smaller things that I'm actually doing something, right? You might not know what I'm doing, but I'm supporting people. I'm changing the lives of people. And because people want like a kind of like, they, they call it like, like they want the good for you. <laughs> basically, that's what they tell you. Basically, we want the good for you, right? You know, because when I chose to do like nonprofit work, it was a challenge in my family. It was a challenge. We like, oh, we, you know, we sent you to school. We've struggled. We've gotten you into this place. And you need to like, you know, you need to start earning. And I wasn't earning anything. And I was like running a nonprofit and, you know, so it was challenging. Like they were asking me for stuff after home I couldn't provide or I couldn't give, you know. But one of the things that I, I kept doing was like building myself and using my results as a kind of like, like I would allow the results to do the talking. So I would probably get an opportunity and they see me like, you know, having access to like countries that naturally my mates would not have access to. And I would go and speak about my work and talk about my work and then come back and be like, okay, interesting. Like it seems he's making some progress. We can see it, but I think he's doing something and I'm like, yeah. And Sometimes you just have to have that conviction, even though our family doesn't believe in us. I used to feel like it might not, it might not happen immediately. It could take time, but now like I'm not where I used to be. Like, you know, I've written books, I've gotten into platform, I've led regional work, you know, you know, and I've volunteered with like a couple of organizations. And one of the things that I used to say is that the job you do when you're not getting paid or when you're not doing anything would kind of like pay you later. Those were the things I used to like share, like. You know, I just let them know that this is where I'm going to. This is my vision. This is what I've chosen to do. And yeah, and I wouldn't give up on it. Like I would just, I communicate. I face obstacles, obviously. Like there was a time I got a job in Saudi Arabia. So they got me a job. Basically, they found me like, you know, there's this, you know, contrast kind of like role where you go to Saudi Arabia to work as an examination invigilator. And I got a role and, you know, they were like, oh, you need to do medicals. You need... And I turned it down. And it was like, during that moment, it was like around 2016, 2017, and they'll be paying me like $6,000 $6, per annum. And I'm like, well, even though it was like a good deal, my accommodation will be covered, I'll be given a car. There were like so many packs with that job, but I have to leave Nigeria and travel to Saudi Arabia. And at that point, I was about to start my NGO. Yeah. But I turned it down to start my NGO. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was like, it didn't go well. But I was like, they're like, well, hope you won't regret this decision. Yeah, decision. I'm like, I'm not going to regret anything. Yeah. You know? And that pushed me to like, you know, because for every decision we make, there's an hard work that comes with it. So that got me like, you know, like crazily, like, like I'm going to do all the things I want to do in this world. Yeah. Like I must succeed in this thing. Like there's no way like I must succeed in this thing. So I think that has been like my kind of like mentality. I would say like for me, it's like, you know, the mentality kind of like shift the way I see, see the work that I do. And, and that's how I invite people to join me basically, you know, by sharing all of these obstacles. Like I don't hide anything like on my social media, you could barely see every of my story. I, li I literally would share things, challenges. And, and that's how I inspire other people to join me or to be part of the movement that I'm also creating because I'm like, this is what I've been through. This is my story. Oh, I feel the same. I want to be part of your movement. And that's how people join, basically. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's really interesting and inspiring. And But while 
I, I can say that it was a tough journey for sure. But yeah. at the end of the day, you were really looking at helping people and looking at serving the community and doing some greater good. But while building that, I understand that it wasn't easy because from the area or the community and trying to do something good where there were literally, I don't know, like daily lives were problematic. Mm -hmm. And how did you try to find these platforms? And did you think it would have been easier for you to do this way before in the right platform and how to reach people? How do you think people can reach out to these kind of, uh, yeah. I, I think for me it was it was number one. I think I think the, the the first thing again is the joy that comes from the work. I think those are the things that pushes me and to face like any other challenges that is coming from the from the outside or from the inside basically. Because when you help somebody, you know, I could recall the first program we had, it was like a career talk and I could recall then it was like a career talk with like some students in rural communities and we had this conversation and I shared my story in that career talk shared my journey with these kids you know we were looking at new new careers as well careers that they haven't had before and they had many questions you know they had like strengths they had like interests they had like things that they want to do but the fact that people around them are pulling them back because of the communities that they were living in they've never seen somebody who they could look up to as a mentor and for me like when i was growing up i didn't see like yeah they were obviously they were mentors but there were many of those people that i could look up to but me being there in that community you know, talking to these children, you know, seeing that this is my journey. I've been to university, I've graduated, you know, and I also graduated top of my class as well in uni, you know, like, and I can say that this is my journey and this is where I am. I've not gotten to where I'm going to yet, but this is where I've been to. And, you know, the children came to me and like, at the end of like the session, they had like millions and millions and millions of questions. Yeah. And we're just there answering questions. And, you know, me being able to provide advice in that moment and them coming back to say that because of the advice I made, this is where I'm currently at. This is what I'm currently doing. And, you know, and that engagement with those children, with those young people actually gives me lots of joy. So no matter where the obstacles are coming from, the fact that I get all of those joy basically within the community is something that, you know, kind of like inspire me. And in terms of like getting opportunities basically, or getting opportunities to, you know, amplify the work. I feel like that's the power of digital technology, you know, and I would always be grateful to my dad because he, when I was 13, I think 13 or 14, I can't remember. When I was 13, my dad sent me to like a computer school in the slum. Like I was the youngest in my class. Like I was very, very young. I was just 13. There were, the, the, and this was like 20, 2006 and yeah. And PC was just like really growing within Nigeria then. Like it wasn't like really well known. Yeah, do people at PCs, many people go to like cyber cafes where they get get like browsing time to use the computer. So I was like, you know, I was learning everything from desktop publishing to graphic design to like everything at a very young age. You know, I, I, I learned how to like design frames. I learned how to design cards. I learned how to type. I came up with my first CV during that period. Like I had access to information, I had access to the internet, I had access to like the world, you know, I could see the world far away from where I am. And the fact that I went through that journey, you know, when I got into like university, I could search for information myself, I could find research, I could read more. When I graduated from university as well, it was like very easy to like start looking up opportunities, you know, I started applying for opportunities, started getting into platforms, started meeting people who like, share similar ideas. I, I you know, I, I saw people like who are far away, who are like, you know, 13 chapters ahead of me, you know, 13 chapters ahead of me. And I, I could like, okay, 
if these people could do this, I can do the same. Like I can get to this place. So I would say that technology play a role. Like I joined so many network on, online. Like I remember joining like English as a second language group. I joined like a, a young African that's initiative initiative, you know, Facebook group. Like I was joining different groups and learning, right? So I think that was where I started finding some of this information, some of these opportunities. I applied to couple, got rejected, but others came knocking at some point. But you know, again, so again, you never can tell how power of technology could shape a child. You know, like you don't have to buy a child a computer to help them learn technology, but if you show them how to use a computer, if you show them how to you know, search for information. If you show them like, this is the world, right? You can dream far away from where you are. It could change many things. I don't have a, I didn't have a computer growing up. I never had access to one, you know, but I was, I went to a computer school basically and that changed many things for me. Right. So I'm like, and, and, and this is what inspired my work, right? You know, looking at those stories, looking at those experiences, looking at those journey, connecting the pieces and dots together, kind of like inspire the kind of work that I do today. And the fact that I can see those worlds, I believe that children in rural and other South communities, children who have similar circumstances as mine, could see the world far away from where they are currently at. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just really different. Now we look at this generation or Gen Z or millennials. Like, I think it's a clear difference between developed countries and underdeveloped countries and developing countries. Like, for example, for people, let's just say UK or America, I think they grew up with computers. Well, laptops. Mm-hmm. I think there are different issues when it comes up with in, in that situation where there is misuse of using information on internet. There are people cyberbullying, mm-hmm. security, and then on the other hand, we are struggling to get probably just one hour of access for the computer or the laptop to just get to know the information that we really want to read. So I think this divide has been a bit too much, and I think slowly. I just hope that all the countries, everybody could get access to something where they can learn from. But yeah, but all of this is really, really interesting. And as we keep talking about how skills are really important and how mentorship is really important for students and advice or education for their future. But our, we ha- we did a deep dive question on future of work with mm-hmm. this situation. So what do you think is future of work to you? So I, I, again, I think the idea of future of work, I think the idea of future of work is now. I think, you know, when we look at future of work, we shouldn't think about, oh, what is the work of the future? We should think about what prepares people for that future, basically. You know, so the future is now. Yeah. That's the future of work, basically. That's the way I see it. And I feel like it is the skills that you develop now that helps you cope with the challenges of the future or the work of the future. So when COVID happened, nobody knew like how it's going to look like. Nobody knew how the future of work would change by then when COVID happened. But some people were prepared even before COVID happened. They were already upskilling. They were already developing themselves. They were already like some of these resources. They were used from, you know, they were used to like some of these tools, right? And when it happened and people had to adjust, they were ready to adjust. So I think one of the skills that, you know, I I mean, I think the World Economic Forum released some certain skills for the future, right? I think what it meant is not like, the skills of the future. What it means is that the skills for now that prepares you for the future. Because when you look at cognitive adaptability, right, for example, as a skills, as a skill rather, as a future skill, like it's what we need now. The ability to quickly switch mentally and to connect and learn and, you know, get a job done. 
you know, when people say, oh, AI is taking our job, I'm like, no way. AI cannot take human connection and emotion and human feeling, right? You should be the one controlling AI, not AI controlling you. So what if we see AI as an, you know, a kind of like extension, you know, a kind of like amplification of our work, right? And then we develop the skills to be able to master that AI to amplify the work that we do. I yeah. think that's what the future means, like, right? If there's like, you know, a car that can move on its own and you don't have to drive, you know, it's your ability to be able to control those cars, right? It's the ability to be able to learn quickly. And that's what education should do. Education should prepare you for that future so that you can adapt and learn. Yeah. So when I think about the future of work, I'm not talking about the work of the future because I don't even care about the work of the future. What I care about is the future of now. Like yeah. the future is now, what is happening currently. And we can see that there's so many changes that are happening currently. Like it what changes every single day rapidly. Like there are like so many information that goes online every single moment, every single second every single minute like it's changing minute by minute ideas are flowing minutes by minutes groundbreaking ideas are flowing minutes by minute yeah so one have to be like be you know you you, you you we need to develop like some certain skills that allows us to adapt you know such as like creativity critical thinking emotional intelligence you know ability to quickly cope switch learn from people these are some of the skills that are needed for the future basically and they are human skills yeah I am um, so so yeah I I I I I feel like no when when we talk about the idea of future of work I understand we use that we use it as like this is the work future but that future is now yeah but in terms of advanced technological development and how things as you just said are thrown at our faces <laughs> do you think at this rate the workforce right now is coping with the changes that are happening in the environment around them around them right now because I understand that we have to adapt and learn and we have to keep going. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But then probably when it was the internet era and there was a lot of digital technology advancement. So that was a phase shift. And I'm, I'm really glad that the millennials who grew up with that, with technology kind of adapted and shifted. Mm -hmm. But at this point where we see there is AI, there is Industry 4.0, there is digital twins, there's metaverse, there is VR, there is an augmented reality, all of these things, they're mm -hmm. just on one after another. So do you think, can this generation cope up with that? And it's just too much sometimes when I think about it, like mm -hmm. for, I need to keep a job, I have to do this, 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 this. And statistics say that around more than half of millennials and Gen Z feel burnt out by working and learning and adapting and just there's a lot that companies just want us to do like they, i think they suck out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the hard work they want us to do things a lot and and probably more than the normal working hours so what do you think about this i yeah i think the, the first thing is that we should talk to the companies instead of the millennials and gen z like what do companies really want yeah i think that's the first question companies need to ask themselves like what do they actually want from gen z and millennials like what do they really want, right? So if they can ask what they want, right? And get people to do their job within the time frame that they've scheduled, basically. So it's company actually reflecting on their culture. So the problem is actually not the people. The problem is of the company. So what culture are you creating? What's even your vision statement? You know, I see companies say, we want to be number one. We want to be number one at the expense of your people. Yeah. We want to be number one at the expense of, you know, young people who come into an organization with their own skill sets of the 21st century, you know, why we, re and they, they come in with this idea, you know, for some probably they've not 
probably had, they've not worked somewhere before. This is probably like their first space, you know, work experience, you know, where they're working. And imagine the toxic culture they're experiencing, the fact that they have to work over hours because they've gotten the skills, right? They've gotten the skill sets, you know, they've learned all of the skills and then you want to like use, you know, you want to get everything out of those skills basically rather than actually like supporting and mentoring over the time, right? And then we support people with like all the art skills, you know, when people come into an organization, we teach them how to do the job, we teach them everything, we teach them all of those skills, but we don't teach them other things. We don't teach them how to have effective confrontation. Yeah. We don't teach them how to have uncomfortable conversation. We don't teach them how to like, you know, when something goes bad, you know, who do you reach out to? We don't even create a culture that allows people to have open conversation that I made mistake here, you know, support me, help me. So yeah. it's such like a toxic culture. So if people are burning out because of all of these things that are happening with AI, with all of this, you know, new technology that are happening, if people are burning out because of that, I think the problem is not the people. The problem is the culture. And one of the things that I used to say is that sometimes we are quickly, it's, it's, it's very quick for us to, to judge people. Like, you know, we quickly say, oh, this person is not working. This person is complaining. This person is not doing their job. It's, we are very quick to do that. But we don't look at the field that is allowing them not to do their job or that is allowing them to like, you know, because they they are stressed, they are burnt out and they are just tired and they're just like, I'm tired, I'm done, right? And, I, and one thing that I'm grateful for with this generation is that they are not scared to talk about it, right? They are not scared to like, hey, I'm tired, yeah, bye. Yeah. You know, which is which is really good, right? Yeah, they, they, they won't keep quiet about these issues, right? But I, but I also think there's also a danger of like, no, because you won't quit forever. So I'm also trying to bring a particular nuance here. You can't quit forever. There's also an opportunity for open conversation, like, you know, uh, being able to like talk about, hey, boss, I think you're giving me too much. Yeah. I think it's too much. And this is why I think it's too much. And this is the work that I think I can do. And I have an open conversation around that. And if the person responds to be like, oh, you know, we are doing you a favor, you're not like, you know, and then, you know, probably their response will determine whether we should quit or not, right? So if it's a company that is reflective and have good culture, they would address that. But a company that doesn't have good culture or reflective culture, will be like, okay, bye. And then you'd be like, this is not a place I want to stay in and this is not a place I want to work in because this is not a place I can learn and this is not a place that cares about me. Yeah. So I think, again, the problem, like that would be my answer to this question. I think the problem is not the people, it's not the young people. I think the problem is the organization and the culture that we are building as an organization. In this fast pace, you know, get this done, get that done. You could get 20, 30 things done. I think it's really important to, for companies to start paying attention to the people because it's people that get the job done. And people would be like, if I, I have examples, you know, I have case studies to share. People would be like, okay, you know, what is to productivity is when you, they will be like, what is to productivity is when you like monitor people and you're like pushing them to get things done. And when you're like, you know, micromanaging, micromanagement has never created product, has never created like any form of productivity. I'm yeah. telling you, it wasn't the case and wasn't the issue. Yeah. I've seen, you know, when I'm being mic micromanaged, you would, I, you would hate me and I would hate the job as well because I would never cope. I can't cope where, I, where you micromanage me. So again, what actually leads to productivity is not following up and checking in everything and checking if somebody is doing this or not doing this. It's not that. What actually gets about productivity is relationship within organization, within company. You know, when you build a culture where somebody can open up, when you build a culture where somebody can share, where you build a culture where somebody can say, boss, I think I can't do this, right? Those things lead to productivity because it's easier for people to actually reach out to you. So if somebody is scared of their boss, right? If somebody is scared of their boss, they won't go to them. Yeah.
they would rather be figuring out how to get that thing done and then they waste time trying to get the thing done yeah. but if you can easily share and talk you get you get the job done faster yeah so again like i said is not the people yeah. the culture yeah i think there is culture on one end that we are addressing for sure but there is also the financial crisis that yeah. generation is getting crushed between mm-hmm. like for example yes i have cost of living crisis the energy bills going up i have yeah. student loans the debt that i have to pay off because i wanted to study i wanted to build these skills and i wanted to do something great and on the other hand and then on the other hand we have these these tasks to do at the office and there is nobody to help me out and then there is again a hustle culture that i need to do something i need to make something of myself so there are so many things especially in the minds of gen z and millennials right now so i don't know like this burning out seems more more than ever a reality in this century and especially with millennials and gen z just entering the workforce than it ever was mm. so what do you think about that yeah like again when when we look at all of this cost of living crisis you know we look we need to look at like what are the genesis why is it happening you know how much are young people being paid you know if you look at the the income you know if a young person who is getting into like an entry level role or a kind of junior role how much are they being paid you know in the role what people are the forefront what people are actually doing the real work and i know people will want to argue that oh we were there before we were once there but again you were once there it wasn't the same economy then as the same now right it's different yeah. like there's this you know very very rise cost of living crisis and all so yeah so one of the things is that and i i definitely have a problem especially with the with, with the uk system how a young person will stay in a role you know without being promoted for a long period of time and they will have to quit rather you know than say give me promotion right you know so how would somebody how would you increase somebody earning capacity where they are in a role for a long period of time and even the person ahead of them is not willing to live where they are so it's always challenging so young people are always in this rigma role of moving within like the same role you know for a long period of time and they are not able to like you know be promoted so like you know we just stay in the same like this circle and rolling 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 and within the same circle and within the same like salary bands and people are just within that salary bands and they are not able to like cover up for their basic needs and that means that if you're unable to cover for their basic needs you're looking for like a side also to do maybe you are working at a pub or maybe you need to like focus on other jobs like music or something else that would probably pay you or probably you know venture to tech and all of those things right so you're doing all of those things to like cover the needs and then you've been burnt out so there's a need for like company to reflect on like how you know they pay young people basically and come and pay young people for the service that they deserve young people are innovative they bring the energy to the work they bring so many things to the work and they need to be appreciated for those energy and for those work that they bring to the table so there's a need to like actually push you know like i said the authorities are at the top but the people are actually doing the job are on the ground so there's a need to push authority you know down and it need to create a clear pathway for young people to grow and progress within an organization so if you have young people in an organization you have young people in your workforce what is the clear pathway for them to grow within the organization what's the clear pathway for them you know in fact you might not be able to increase their salary but you know when they are living in your workforce you know they can get a better job somewhere else like they can get a better space like they can get you know better pay so what's career like what's your plan for those young people who come into your organization basically and how do you create that pathway for them to grow right and the fact that you know there is this idea of like you know you see every company right kind of like again this are my thoughts 
you know, it's not because of any organization. These are my personal thoughts. These are the things that I've seen, right? So I just want to kind of like create a caveat there. When you look at, when you look at organizations, right, even within the UK, and I've seen this a lot in job adverts, you know, when you go to LinkedIn, go everywhere, you see, they'll be like, we don't discriminate based on age, based on race, blah, blah, blah. Be free to apply. It's a lie. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm telling you for free. This is a lie. If a young person applies to that role and then show up into the interview and everything and still did well, they wouldn't pick them. They're like, who are you? You're a young person. Like, and it's, it happens everywhere across countries, right? People look at your face and already, they're already judging you. Yeah. And they are like, even though you can do the job, you might not be hired because they feel like, oh, you've not gotten this number of years of experiences to do actually the work, even though you can do the job. And what we are saying is that how do you now want to increase the earning capacity of young people, you know, if, you know, you're not giving them a position to lead, and you're not giving them a position, a senior position, even though they've shown the potential that they can do the job, right? So what we are saying is that young people are not competing with other people, right? We are not competing with the other generation. We are not competing with, like, the leadership position. But what young people are saying is that give us the recognition for the skills that we bring to the table. Yeah. Because we're in the 21st century, young people understand the 21st century better. They understand the technology better. I know that people will struggle with many of these technologies. The reason why some companies are not growing is that they have not given young people the opportunity to lead in their company and in their position. So once you give, create that pathway to happen, you know, it, you know, you 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 have like at least a young person in your team or your leadership team. You're you're creating that pathway. You're helping that young people change their circumstances, basically, right? And when we also look at rising cost of living crisis and everything, let's even look at this from another angle. Who contributes the most to the, you know, consum consumer sector, basically, right? Yeah. You know, young people currently, you know, contribute almost three trillion. Yes. Plus, yeah. To the, you know, different sectors, like to the consumer sectors, basically, you know, whether Nike, whether Adidas, whether, you know, even let's say the so-called Tesco, like who buy the most from those places. Yeah. They are young people. Young people are the heart of every single workforce, whether through buying or whether through, you know, like, yeah, you know, you know, but, but who is benefiting? The C-suits guys or the leadership sitting somewhere, those are the people benefiting, right? Yeah. Why young people are the ones contributing and not benefiting from those resources, right? So if you're saying that we are contributing to this and there's this crisis, you know, how do we ensure that there's a, you know, maybe bonus or there's an opportunity or maybe... You know, put young people to actually, you know, put young people in, in, in the leadership position. So one of the ways you can, you know, you know, yeah. So I, I think those are the things that probably companies need to look at. You know, what's the any capacity of the young people? When we go to test school, people will not say because you're earning £50,000 or you're earning £60,000, you would pay more than somebody who is earning 15000 or 10000 somewhere. Yeah, I think absolutely. Now that you pointed out, I understand the problem right now that a lot of brands faces that is being relevant to the people who are right now consumers because we see in a lot of C-suits and executive level there there are people who don't don't understand this generation they don't understand the trends that go on they don't understand what we want there's significant gap in the in our so social and political views there's significant difference in what we prioritize as a generation of Gen Zs and millennials and what they prioritized. Probably they might be Gen Zs or probably they might be baby bloomers or previous generations. And they their priorities are different than what our priorities are. And I think right now, even with National Youth Trends, that's what we're trying to do is to bridge this gap between 
the brands the brands who can actually get in touch with the consumers and know what they want and what they feel so that we can build that relevance so I yeah and, and 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 you know they will tell you again you know let me just quickly add this i, I know sorry to cut you oh, but no, okay. yeah let, let me just quickly add this you know and then they will tell you you need to fight you know like if you want to get into the position you need to fight. like we're already dealing with a lot of things we are tired yeah true young people are tired they are tired of you know, you can't keep saying that. You know, it's the truth. You know, they'll be like, you have to fight. How many years would you fight? Yeah. How many? You know, it's the truth. Like, you know, is it until I start, you know, growing gray hairs and, you know, and I, you know, I can't be in that position anymore. Is that the time I, I need to fight for? So young people are tired of fighting, right? You know, we are tired. It's hard. You know, you're already dealing with like, you know, some people are already dealing with like a toxic workforce. They are training to like, you know, make ends meet, you know. There's a lot of pressure, you know, already happening, you know, even with social media and, you know, different things happening already. So young people are tired already with all of this. So they, there's a need for actually companies to be like, you know, if you understand that, you know, and then people will tell you that, well, young people have the potential, you know, they will tell you all of these good things about young people, you know, they are the future, they are the things, you know, they can do this, they can do that, you know. If you see young people have potential, then put them in position. True. Yeah. Then put them in leadership position. You understand, you've seen it. It's the problem you've seen and identify it, right? Yeah. Do they have to fight to then get there? Obviously, you wouldn't just put somebody who doesn't have the skills or qualification. Obviously, you know, you 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 have to look at all, all other things and other criteria. I'm not saying you should just put young people in a position without looking at other criteria or without looking and assessing that. Can they actually do the job? Yeah, those things need to put in place. But again, it's like knowing that we recognize this thing. We recognize this inequality that happens between generation. And we are willing to fix and we are willing to create a space for young people to also be in this position. And what happens is that if a young person is in that position and they can, you know, they show like through leadership and everything, it then inspires other young people to also aspire and dream. And then we have a very a workforce that is built on, on, on the strengths of their young. Because every great workforce, you know, even in the back in the days or back in the years, like the world was built by young people, like young people who have the strength. They have this energy, they have this innovation, they have everything. And the fact that if you, if you base that knowledge, you know, you know, all of these innovation skills, you use it in economics, you use it in government, you use it in policy, you know, you use it in tech, you know, all of the skills like would have groundbreaking, you know, ideas, innovation, and the workforce would change. But without us recognizing that we need the strength of the young people, we need them to be in that position. Without us recognizing that, and without us recognizing that, we know young people cannot do it alone. But we'll support them with the resources. We'll support them with the tools. We'll provide them the mentoring. And that's what we, that's what it means to have a positive adult culture, right? There's so many negative adult culture. When you go online now, you'll see people like, oh, you're a young person, get away, kind of thing like that. That's a negative adult culture. A positive adult culture is that there's this intergenerational mentoring and leadership to say like, I recognize your strength. I recognize your knowledge. I recognize your skills. I've gotten the experiences that you don't have, but I'm willing to support you and walk you through that journey. And I'm willing to hold your hands. That's what it means to have positive adult work culture. Yeah. I, I understand that young people, especially Gen Z's, are supposed to be given these positions and it will make wonders for sure. But on the other hand, we have a lot of issues and complaints raised by millennials and the generations that you know go on like we have boomers and then millennials and then gen z and every older generation has a problem working with the new generation and especially with gen z we hear a lot of complaints of how this generation is a snowflake generation and then they take offense for everything and i understand again it comes back to the priorities that this generation had has and then have what millennials have 
but there is a difference in how millennials look at resilience of gen z's in workforce like now as as you said we like gen z's as a whole community or a generation are very vocal about how they feel i am tired i can't do this i'm going to go back home. Mm-hmm. like i i i need a break so i'm going to do that so i think being vocal and actually talking their thoughts out and if they don't like the job they quit mm-hmm. so that kind of made this generation form an opinion like millennials form an opinion that we can't trust them or there is no resilience in them or there is no that that this is a snowflake generation that just puts up with a lot of issues or comes back to us with a lot of issues they don't work through it they don't try to figure it out themselves or let's just say but on the other hand gen z's on the other hand think that they are the most resilient workforce ever and then world history so what do you think about this and how to bridge this gap between millennials and gen z's or boomers and millennials so these are a lot of issues and complaints that we we find in terms of intergenerational workforce so yeah yeah so yeah i mean you you've touched on so many things there i mean you know you've touched on quiet quitting you've touched on you know resilience and you know and you know the fact that the generation doesn't understand you know the the, the gen z basically and i think i've personally i've also worked with like a couple of gen z's as well and i i think the problem is not gen z you know sometimes maybe you are the problem <laughs> and then you're thinking the gen z is the problem <laughs> you know maybe sometimes there's something you also need to yeah maybe there's sometimes there's an insecurity you're dealing with maybe sometimes there are like other things that we can't see that actually contribute to like making all of this assumption you know it's very easy to make an assumption from a unidimensional perspective or from a, like a unidimensional way without seeing like all other factors that actually contribute to like some of these things or some of these opinions that we form about other people or that we form about other generation in fact you know at some points every generation must have felt this way yeah probably the ones that felt that some people were overusing them but they couldn't speak up so it's not that the problem that agencies are facing today it's not that other generations have faced it's just that some people have decided to bust it up and they didn't speak up and now there's a generation who is speaking up about this and there's this culture of openness which is a good culture to have in every company yeah yeah what good does it do to a company when somebody can openly share what they are going through their frustration yeah does it contribute to a a good work culture or a negative work culture. If somebody is angry and then they're just backbiting and they're angry and about the job and they are not open about it, upfront about it, and they're like, okay, you know, they're not showing any sense of rebellious, like, I'm not, I'm done, you know, I'm done here. So if Gen Z are actually seeing that they are done here, that means there's a problem with the, and there's yeah. a problem with the work culture. And it's like, again, I'll go back to culture and they seem to fix that culture, right? And one thing that I've seen is that this generation loves conversation. They yeah. want you to sit down and have this conversation with them, right? I know what you're going through. I know that, you know, we have to do this, but this is why we have to do this. This is why we have to take this. Or this is why, you know, you, we have to work on the weekend, right? Yeah. When you have that conversation, then you've, you've prepared people. Not that, oh, you're, com- you know, you're, comp- you know, you're composed to, like, work on the weekend. Like, people wouldn't do that. People would rebel when you don't have conversation and you don't have that conversation. You know, this is why you're working on the weekend. This is why we need to have this work on the weekend. And then you set these expectations basically, you know, and then you still respect their boundaries. Because what this generation is that they are setting boundaries. Like if you give me a job, nine to five, that's when I'm going to do the job. Boundaries. Yeah. Right. You know, which many, you know, then, you know, and, 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 and that creates a good, you know, work-life balance, good work culture. And people can spend time on like whether they're side, side also after five, or they could spend more time with their family. And it's also good for the older generation to know that when it's 5.30, we can wind up and then spend time. We can wind up 
I spend time with our family as well, and everybody wins basically. But when people need to go extra hours, you need to communicate those those things. You need to find that culture of like creating local conversation. Yeah. So when you're saying that Gen Z are not doing this, Gen Z just quit. Did you even create a space for open conversation in the first place? Adam Grant says something is that most of the time we do exit interview, but we never did stay in interview. Yeah. And you know, it's when people are going down when they're not want to hear all the frustration in this world. When would have created a space of open conversation within organization already for people to be able to share their frustrations and what they are going through within their role and within their job? Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's really so, important. Yeah, yeah. So 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 they they need to create you know those 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 spaces, and that's when people will be like, I think this organization have my back. Yeah. I think this organization care about me beyond the paycheck. I yeah. think this is the place I want to work now. That it's my life to work in. It. And if anybody wants to leave, they won't burn bridges and they will create a space to like easily leave, basically. Yeah. So the organization needs to do well with their culture and create a space for open open conversation that has not happened in years and ages. And now Gen Z is like bringing this up, you know, telling them that this is what you need to do. This is how we need to do it. This is, you know, this conversation we need to have. Sometimes people are not even asking for like, you know, if people are even like, people are not asking that, give me the risk. But people want to know that you care about them, basically. And if you care about them, you'll find and retain the yappy. So when you look at the resilience, you know, you know, the, the, the you know, they are saying they are the most resilient. Yes. What's our definition of resilience? Yeah. Probably. Resilience doesn't mean that when somebody has to like, you know, fighting this hardship every time and, you know, cope against this hardship, you know, that could be one form of resilience, right? Mm. But the fact that Gen Z could actually, you know, raise up a board and say like, you are like this is an injustice here. Uh, it's not right. Yeah, and I and I think I really want to put this thing forward, especially with Gen Zs, because they have seen their parents going through the, fin- the financial crisis of 2008. Mm-hmm. Then were a lot of jobs lost, and it was really hard for the families of Gen Zs families to like put food on the table at that point. Mm-hmm. And then came and then came pandemic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just when Gen Z was entering the workforce and then they were like, whoosh, what happened? And then the entire economy fell down at that moment. And then they came out and then now we're looking at, it was a difficult time. And in the middle, right after the financial crisis, there was educational cutbacks from the government. And then suddenly private institutions raised up their student, student fees, education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think going through all of this, I can really, really put that. And we even wrote this wrote this piece of content on our on our website about how Gen Z is going through a Burma crisis. It it will take another decade or two for them to get over this because none of them have savings. Mm-hmm. Like hardly people who have savings. It's really difficult in this in this I don't know in this 2023. It's really difficult to have savings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm like, you know, I agree because I can speak for myself, yeah. you know, I, it's, it's been, yeah, it's, it's hard for like, you know, young people during this moment to save. And, you know, as you were talking as well, you know, you, you, you said something about the pandemic, right? You know, I can't speak for the UK. I was in Nigeria and I came to the UK when the pandemic happened as well during that process, but I could speak for Nigeria and Sub-Saharan Africa. The people, because I was working as regional manager, you know, working with young people in Sub-Saharan Africa who were responding to like this crisis, like in my organization there at Peace Fest, we did a rapid response grant where we're giving young people, you know, the money to like, you know, respond to this crisis basically. And there were like thousands and thousands of young people across the region and across the world who, who 
raised up their hand to like respond. Yeah. Like Gen Z's. Yeah. These are young people yeah. between the ages of 18 to 25, no, 13 to 25. And they were like saying that, yes, I'm ready. I want to do this. I want to create this. I, I knew young people who were actually like going from home to home, despite COVID happening, yeah. delivering food boxes to homes. Yeah. And I think it could be the same for the NHS or for the UK. I'm not sure. But we had young people who were like providing food for people. We had another young person who were like providing micro loans to families during that moment to cope during COVID-19. We had young people who created technology for people, for young children to be able to learn. These are young people, Gen Z's, who have the ideas and created that technology solution so that children can have access to education. Like I could go on and on to tell the stories of like young people. We even had young people, you know, I know of a young person who was in like Kakuma refugee camp, who was spreading information about how people could cope within Kakuma refugee camp, you know, during that COVID moment, like was sharing information, you know, leveraging media, leveraging, you know, text messages, you know, also equipping like girls within the camp on digital skills. I think it's, I can remember his name, his name is Niadeng. Like people were, People were doing things. They were at the forefront. Young people were at the forefront of responding to the pandemic and the crisis. Yeah. Right. And, you know, they were also like in between working in between, you know, doing all of those things in between. So they were working and they were also responding to the crisis. So tell me, tell me what's your definition of resilience? Yeah. If young people come out and say that we are resilient, they, 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 they deserve to say that. And even in those moments, was also when young people were also like battling with, you know, regimes that are really, really tough to deal with. Like, for example, in, in for example, in Nigeria, I can speak for Nigeria. When it starts up, young people were at the forefront during this moment, protesting on the streets for good governance to end police brutality. They were like everywhere. Yeah. You know, they were speaking up about issues. They, they were speaking against, you know, people or other people were holding resources for themselves. Young people were at the forefront of doing all of these things. I might not be able to speak for any other, you know, country because I, I didn't know how it works then here. Yeah. But when it comes to Nigeria, young people were at the forefront. In fact, when it comes to the UK, what am I even saying? Yeah. What are we even saying? Currently, at this moment, you know, I work with young refugees and asylum seekers. I know a young person who started an initiative to ensure that fellow refugees and asylum seekers build the skills necessary for them to integrate. This is a young person, a Gen Z. Yeah. They are using theater, poetry to like, you know, to show the world that this is, these are the issues that we are facing. And you need to step up and do something about it. It's very hard to speak up, but this generation are speaking up, yeah. right? So we need to encourage that, basically. We need to encourage that, that system more. The system that allows to speak up and not to cower in fear, basically. We yeah. need to encourage such system. So I, I think when people are talking about resilience, you know, it's not, you know, it's not just facing hardship and overcoming hardship. I know that's one. Yeah. Right. You know, and I know people have glamorized resilience now, you know, but we need to redefine what does resilience even mean? Yeah. What does even courage mean, basically? Yeah. And I think this conversation right there will tell a lot of people what resilience means and especially for Gen Z as a generation and I think it's really something however really something strong that Gen Z has gone through and them saying that we are one of the resilient workforce or resilient people mm -hmm. of history I think from my perspective and my end in my opinion makes sense mm -hmm. because of what we've just discussed but I think yes bridging the gap and having those conversations 
even on the other end of powerful people just trying to take few steps in terms of having a conversation with a young person change mm-hmm. a lot of things and mm-hmm. also think that opportunity to be in an executive position and try to put their voices forward in mm-hmm. a lot of experienced people for sure mm-hmm. and i think it will be really a great change and a shift in the entire culture or the entire yeah. look at how things have been working so far and i think it's really great but one last question that i have for you is empowering young people and breaking stereotypes and norms set by older generation and 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 probably a sentence or a paragraph or however you think how will this benefit the society business and economy as a whole we've talked about everything but how do you think this will help us as human beings or society or the community every every generation call it maybe maybe boomers or hex or you know I've always thrive uh, I've always ride on the power of their young people yeah world war 2 where the people at war yeah i believe they were older people right yeah not not yeah i believe there were younger people at the forefront fighting for their country or fighting for their lives basically protecting people during pandemic or during covid what the technological skills in fact when you look at the for example technology like how it was mark zuckerberg when he founded facebook yeah now meta how old was he yeah uh, yeah and then look at it in like many other spheres and many other area of lives basically you know we have young people who have like created something and who have led from the age or you know from you know like like they there's actually no need to like in terms of climate change your advocacy yeah come back you know and i remembered my you know my friendly had said something he said he said he said what leaders are not changing the world young people are the one changing the world amen i think it makes <laughs> so yeah, much be- we are a part of it <laughs> yeah because you know because when you look at like the person when you think of climate you think of greater when you think of like you know education you think of like malala yeah. when you think of like you know different spheres and different areas when you think of technology you think of like you know young people are creating like amazing technology and we need those experiences in 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 the workforce basically to drive that change so world leaders are not the ones changing the world yeah. young people are the ones changing the world and we need to unnest that potential to drive economy to drive technology to drive politics to drive development and to create a better world for for everyone i think that that's that's you know that's what i'm going to say because yeah it's it, it's proven like we've seen it like we don't need to look for evidence somewhere else like you know sometimes people be like oh oh hamed you have to show me the evidence i'm like what evidence do i even need to show you like i've created an organization i've led people i've worked with people i've generated resources I've been able to like you know lead people work with people what else do you need me to, to tell you that I can lead and I can create change and I can be in this position of power I don't need to prove to you I don't need to prove anything to you and the fact that a 70 year old person or 80 year old person is deciding for 23 21 year old person then there's a problem because yeah. how do you even understand my reality right so if we have young people you know in a position where your people are creating for themselves then we can see remarkable impact and change within different spheres in the society right so we should we should i think we need to move away from like creating for young people to actually young people creating for themselves co-creating with young people i mean if you know we can get your people like you know co-create you know and 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 then you will see the difference because the people like they understand their pains better than anybody else right mm-hmm. and and you know i i think organization is to like you know consider all of these experiences that young people bring on board and recognize young people for what they deserve 
I recognize people for what they want and not go on LinkedIn and say, I want to pick up your brains and then you're not paying them for their services. Because mm -hmm. you, you, you see, and I'm seeing this like out there, we have so many people, you know, go on LinkedIn, speak to different young people. I want to pick your brains on this. I want to pick your brain on that. I am not paying them for their services. That's wrong. Yeah. So if people are committing their time, one hour, two hours, three hours of their time, and you have the resources to pay them, pay them for their services. So you're talking about rising cost of living crisis. You're talking about financial crisis. You're talking about everything. But young people are actually committing free time without people paying them for their time and for their services. Imagine if we recognize these young people for the time and their services and everything that they bring on board, and we recognize them for the skills that they bring to the table, probably they will be able to cope to some extent. They might not be able to get all the resources to cope, but if you're paying for their time, at least they're able to cope to some extent and they're able to build some sort of like passive income. So enough of saying that I'm going on LinkedIn and I'm picking young person brain, enough of that. We need to start young, paying young people for what they bring to the table and for what they offer, basically. Well, it was an amazing conversation. I think we really touched on the intricate details of how the future of work is now and how it's very important to include young people in huge decision making and how it's really important for us to look at having these conversations and being open-minded as a culture for an organization. Mm -hmm. and, and also we learned a little bit more about how you think on these topics and how you have about your journey about your life and it's really interesting and really inspiring and empowering and it was great and it was a lovely conversation i really loved it and thank you so much for giving this time to nyt and it's just an amazing conversation and i really hope we can collaborate on something soon <laughs> yeah, thank you it's such a pleasure to share thanks for the opportunity